Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 13th, 2020, and this is episode 291. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll go around the bases to try to bring you some semblance of baseball. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Well, I've gone deep into the fridge, and I've gone to my beer uh, collection, and oh, look at that. It's a Michelob Ultra, a fine American product. And you, Scott Max? Uh Jake, I'm drinking a Flying Dog Underdog. Um, it is, I guess, what they would consider to be one of their light beer offerings. It's right around 3.9% ABV, uh, 110 calories. I'd say it's a very good summer beer, me drinking at the stadium beer, I'm not sure if I would come back to it. It's kind of a unforgettable slash forgettable lager. Um, but, I mean, it's good for what it is. Uh, I didn't really want anything special. Um, I just wanted something that was just a classic, you know, old-style beer. And, again, I wanted to support a local establishment such as Flying Dog. Um, and they're actually going to be um, contributing all profits for selling of that beer to Meals on Wheels going forward. Um, so, again, I just wanted to do my part of drinking their beer and then also – um, proceeding to profit off of it in terms of making me f- feel socially good at the same time. You know, at first I thought you were making me feel like a schmuck because I was drinking crappy beer, but now you're making me feel like a schmuck because you're drinking beer for a good cause. How dare you, Scott? I'm How dr- dare I'm, you? I'm drinking local. Uh, I'm drinking for a good cause, and I'm turning my nose up at you, Jake. <laughs> well, if you'd like to turn your nose up at me on the regular, please join us socially you can find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E four zero two five, and I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, um, well, I guess it's time for us to go into the medical wing. Time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you grow. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. That's right. We have a small news piece uh, for the medical wing. Joe Trezza on Orioles.com today wrote that Michael Elias had an update on Trey Mancini during his video conference call with reporters this week. Uh, he said that Trey Mancini was in really, really good position to make a full recovery, both in life and in baseball. Um, and that a recovery time was hard to pinpoint, particularly with the shutdown as it is, but that any recovery would be marked in months rather than weeks. I have to tell you, one of the things that's refreshing about this situation is that both the ball club and Orioles fans seem to be super excited about Trey Mancini's uh, health and his recovery as a person first um, and his recovery to baseball second. Um, And you can you could hear that through the uh, through the updates from Elias. So uh, good news on Trey Mancini. And of course, we will continue to pull for him. No, I mean, completely agree. I mean, I think just, you know, getting that affirmation of kind of what we already knew um, was good. It kind of brought things to a closure standpoint in terms of letting it sit out there in lingo. I mean, I, I think, you know, if we look at the given season and if there is a baseball season and it's shortened, I mean, I think 
the likelihood that Trey Mancini plays this year is zero percent. Um, I think this is a, a great opportunity for Trey to, in essence, get back into the shape that he needs to be. Um, and you know, if there is a a, a so called September baseball um, where we've got like call ups and you know, in essence, meaningless baseball, I think it's a good opportunity for Trey to maybe make a token appearance, um, but no 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 more than that. Okay, fair enough. I like I like what I'm hearing. Well, Scotty, should we uh, should we do it? Should we take a look at Orioles baseball in 280 characters or fewer? Sure, I can start it off. So, um, Jake, someone near and dear to our heart left the game this week, and Mark Reynolds announced his retirement. Um, and the Buckle Belt Birds are slowly starting to kind of leave the game. Jake, how much older does this make you feel on a day and day basis to see people retire um, from the Buckle Belt Birds? You know, it doesn't make me feel old it just it underscores how long ago the 2012 season was you know it it was easy to think of the competitive years as being you know just a couple of years ago you know we we haven't had that long three years ago from the buckle up birds right yeah yeah that's how it felt until i start to read things like that but your daughter is still in elementary school from all i know Easy, easy there, Chief. But the more that we hear stuff about like this, the more we'll think to ourselves, oof, you know, it has been, you know, a, a long run since since the glory the glory years of the Duquette uh, Showalter administration. But you know, gotta love the sheriff, right? I mean, Mark Reynolds maybe not the most talented of players, but when when his tools worked, they really worked. I mean, the guy had raw power and personality. And those were basically his two pieces of value as a baseball player. And I enjoyed the heck out of them both. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Jeremy Kahn, of course, calling him the sheriff and then Chris Davis, the deputy. I think there are no two players in my mind that are more close to each other in terms of uh, playing experience and just kind of general skill set. Uh, I think, you know, there's so many interesting Mark Reynolds moments. Um, one of the great ones, of course, is just his home run tear that he went on in that August and September in 2012 that mm-hmm. literally pushed the Orioles into playoffs. But I can also think back to moments such as um, the Orioles playing the Red Sox and him being at third base and him just eating sunflower seeds as uh, mm-hmm. David Ortiz passes by. And I'm like, there's no better picture in the world to kind of describe the Orioles. Uh, that's it right there. But there's also the moment with like him hitting the home run. He's come back in the dugout. And Showalter puts his hand out, and he just walks right by, or jog, jogs right by, giving the the cold shoulder. So there's a lot of really good Mark Reynolds moments. Um, I, I would put him in like the Nate McLeod category of um, we'll always think back to Mark Reynolds and have kind of fond thoughts because he didn't have a lasting impact past that point um, that made us sour on him. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I look back at players like Mark Reynolds and realize how much I really loved those teams the personality of those teams another thing that always cracks me up about mark reynolds is his penchant for like falling off first base when he was playing first oh yeah uh, to catch a ball the base play it it it, it was a very weird you know like flop thing that he did but it occasionally worked yeah there was one game that he did that and i think it was against the tigers and Leyland came up and argued and they got overturned. And that was the game that Reynolds threw his glove down on the ground. Oh, right. And the umpire came up from behind him and threw him out of the game for throwing his glove down. And Reynolds even lost it even more at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, an individual that certainly had fire, um, wanted to prove himself. And, you know, 
for that brief stretch in 2012 was an integral part of the Buffalo Birds. So I, again, I, I completely agree with you, Jake. There are players like that that will always, you know, be remembered in our head as I wouldn't say better than they were, um, but just interesting, interesting players that will have a a you know a highlight reel within our heads, um, remembering those generations of Orioles. Sure. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at another tweet. And Scott, I don't know how we failed to talk about this, but I'm going to refer to a tweet that comes to us from Heckle D's, Nuts. which you can find at Heckle D's. Nuts. Out now, check out another epic Heckle D's Nuts. podcast. And this, of course, is the podcast that features Adam Jones, oh. who is is uh, sharing his entertaining personality, his knowledge of the game of baseball, and his unique position right now of being a, a very recent American transplant over to the Japanese game. Uh, I listened to a bit of episode six. Uh, the, the tweet from this week on the Twitters is their advertisement for episode six. I haven't heard much of it, but I am delighted to hear that Adam Jones is putting his personality to good use. You know, again, the good and the bad and the ugly with Adam, right? We love the guy. He can also be a little bristly at times. He has the perfect personality to make the move from baseball to media. And so I, I hope that he can cut his teeth on podcasting while he's still a productive player in Japan uh, so that when he decides to call his professional baseball career quits, you know, he can make that next leap into the next entertainment zone. All right. So, Jake, um, Adam Jones was on Reddit and he did ask me anything uh, and he was talking about various stories and everything like that. And one conversation came up um, and it was asking the question about whether he had an interest in managing. And he said, absolutely, I'd be interested in managing. So, Jake, I'd ask you this question. If you had to choose between Adam Jones as a manager or Adam Jones in the broadcast booth, what are you going with? I would go with the broadcast booth just because it would impact my life more. Uh, I feel like I, I wouldn't get as much out of him as a manager. You know, the players might, but I right. wouldn't personally. See, I think Adam could, you know, rival Showalter in terms of uh, post-game and pre-game kind of interviews and conversations. I, I think he's got one of those really sharp minds in terms of um, being able to, in essence, pick up something and then lay something down really quickly. Um so part of me is of the same opinion. I think we would get more traction as it relates to the broadcast booth. But ultimately, I think it'd be a lot more interesting and enjoyable uh, to see him as a manager uh, going forward in Major League Baseball. Look, I'm not saying he can't do it. What I'm saying is that I see him more as a Kirby than oh, a Showalter. That's that's interesting. Um I'm not sure if his personality would allow him to kind of be that supporting player, but um, I could see him starting that way. But I think his ultimate aspect is to get to, um, uh, uh, you know, being the manager of a club. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Why don't you Scott, tell me about go ahead. analytics. Are analytics important right now? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say there is a, uh, room for analytics right now i mean we're all working from home right now so it just seems like a good opportunity for us to do some uh, data analysis and uh you know figure out uh what's going on well friend of the program alex fast who you can find at at alex fast eight has done some of that work he tweets out as follows mike trout's average home run trot by year it starts in 2015 and goes all the way to 2019 look scotty he started out at a crisp 21.51 seconds 
and he has slowed to 24.67 seconds. You know, this is the kind of um this is the kind of stats that we need to know. This is what's impacting the game in terms of stretching it out for an extra 5 minutes or so. So, if Orioles pitchers are going to continue to throw the long ball, uh this is just a, a great example of Every single time they throw the long ball, we're going to add another five to ten seconds onto uh, the current MLB clock. So that's not going to work for me. Um, we're going to need to, in essence, tell runners, hey, if you hit a pitch off an Orioles pitcher, uh, you need to sprint around the bases, uh, not take that slow trot. Yeah, come on. Pace of play, Mike Trout. Pace of play. All right, next tweet comes from Locked on Orioles, one of our favorites over the years. Um, and they've been going through kind of Orioles history, kind of in a similar sentiment to, like, to a bunch of folks on Orioles Twitter right now, in essence, reminiscing on the good old days. Um, and they posted this on April 12th, and it says, On this day in Orioles history, April 12th, 2016, J.J. Hardy makes a mockery of the Pesky Pole as he hits two homers around it in the Orioles 9-5 win at Fenway. It got the O's to 7-0 and in the season and made them the last unbeaten team in baseball. Well, that turned out to be a great season in 2016. So, uh... <laughs> I loved this game. I loved everything about this game. It was super fun. Uh, and I still refer to the foul pole in Fenway Park as the Hardy Pole, as everyone should. It is its rightful name. He owns it now. Uh, no, I, I, this was such a fun, such a fun time. Again... Good memories from the good years. Good times. All right, now let's take a look at a tweet from the Baltimore Orioles. They, of course, tweet at Orioles. Trading in the gloves for the sticks. At D. Smitty Jr. makes his hashtag MLB the show Players League debut tonight at 9 p.m. You know, if we can't have sports, Scott, we might as well have esports. How do you feel about Dwight Smith Jr. representing the Orioles in the MLB the show Players League. I hope his outfield defense is better in the show. <laughs> How do you think Dwight Smith Jr. feels about Dwight Smith Jr. in the show? He seems stoked about it. Um, if you look at his Twitter, I mean, he's been talking it up pretty heavily. So it doesn't seem like this is a inconvenience for him. It just seems like he, this is a good way for him to go out there and, in essence, talk it up. So No, but I mean, like, how do you think he feels about the stats that his player has been oh. given in the video game? Um, I think he looks at it and just says, yeah, it's probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, you have to look at other talent around you and be like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I'm, I'll get by. But everyone can look around and be like, I'm not the top dog, but as long as I'm still here and in essence collecting money, I'm good with that. Um, and I, sometimes it's okay to not be the big fish. All right. Well, we wish Dwight Smith Jr. all the best. Go get him in that Players League, what whatever that is. If Dwight Smith happens to be good at this um, and – he, in essence, gets to, let's call a playoff scenario under this player's league. Does this become a big deal on Orioles Twitter? Because I have a feeling that it's going to become a big deal on Orioles Twitter. Uh, if if we can be relevant at something, of course. Okay. I just want to make sure that I was correct in that aspect of this is the kind of idiotic thing that we in Birdland <laughs> grasp onto and say, hey, at least we won the player's league, the show that was randomly put together to basically fuel our entertainment. You, you know that it would be worse than that. It would be like, at least we came in 14th place in the MLB The Show Players Tournament. That is an excellent point. So, yeah, that's a good point. Again, 
we are striving for baseball content, um, looking under rocks, nooks, crannies, um, just trying to find something. So, Jake, um, I think we've got a few things that we can talk about. So why don't we go around the bases and talk about whatever is left to talk about in Orioles baseball. Well, Scotty, it's time again, time to go around the bases. Let's talk about a little bit of money, shall we? At first base here, I want to talk about a a news item that came out this week. The Orioles are officially the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball at $46 million. We, We talked about the potential. We asked, you know, oh, are the Orioles being cheap or does this fit into their their uh, rebuild strategy. That's all good and fine. Here's the thing that I found super interesting about this. The Orioles have the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball at $46 million. Most of that is going to two players. Chris Davis is owed around $20 million or $21 million. And Alex Cobb is owed $14 million this season. And then whatever's left goes to the rest of the club. That's insane, isn't it? It's a, a little insane, but again, um, you know, I don't think it's that outlandish. Um, you know, even when the Orioles were really good um, and, and we looked at their payroll, it was pretty, I'd say, evenly distributed. We talked about this way back in the in the day, the Tomei effect, and uh, we talked about, you know, in a, a given, you know, salary construction standpoint, the salary construction, you shouldn't pay a single player more than I think it was 15% of the entire payroll um, in this case, obviously we are, um, but this is looking at more at playoff teams. Um, so I, I, I'm not totally surprised that it's that low, but uh, at the same point, you know, I think this comes back to, we know Cobb is going to come off the books. Um, so again, that's not going to be there as of next year. Davis, of course, is this albatross that we can't get rid of. Um, but it does kind of point back to the, to there's going to be a lot of payroll available um, when we get into this rebuild. So, you know, the Orioles are going to, in essence, be able to play players that they want to keep, and they're going to be able to be able to go out there from a free agency standpoint, similar to what the Padres did, and, you know, get really good players. So um, it's a little exciting at the same point. Yeah, I think as long as the development of the minor league uh, talent comes up before the arbitration bill comes due, uh, and that they're able to to have the, the budget, which they clearly do, to build around a core that they bring up. Yes, that can be very exciting. Um, it's one of those things that we you know we talked about a lot. Like this is the part of a rebuild that we've never seen before, right? We've never seen done competently here in Baltimore, but it has every chance of happening. And this, I guess, you know, has to be the first step. No, I agree. Now you talked about Chris Davis being an albatross, and and. I agree with you. You're correct. And I'm not here to beat up on Chris Davis. It is what it is. But the Davis signing is not just the largest signing in Orioles history. It is by far the worst, right? One of the worst things from a business standpoint they've ever done. So love the guy, but it hasn't worked out. But it got me thinking, what are some of the other best and worst signings 
in Orioles history. So what do you got? Um, I think people will always come back to the Albert Bell contract. Um, mm-hmm. In essence, point to that and say five years, $65 million as being one of the worst. Um, I think we could actually come back and, you know, we talk about Abaldo Jimenez, but we might be able to link Alex Cobb to that same kind of pitcher deal of, you know, both those contracts, you know, we went out there and signed a, a pitcher that we were thinking was going to push us into uh, playoff contention. Um, and, and certainly neither contributed in that given regard. Yeah. What about the, what about the best? Well, I haven't got off a of worse. There's, there's one other one that I'll bring <laughs> up that is a little bit more, um, controversial in nature perhaps but what are some of the best contracts um i think going out during the 2012 season and going and getting someone like we and chen uh and miguel gonzalez were some really good ones um 2014 i think going in game the one-year deal with nelson cruz i think really pushed that team to being um almost a superstar team um so i think those are some really you know really good moves um you know, I think, you know, you go back and you take a look at, you know, just making sure that Cal didn't leave the team in the 90s. Um, again, something that we look back now and say, well, that was obvious. But at the time, you know, that wasn't quite as obvious as it was. So I think that was important for the franchise. Um, how about you? What do you think of were some really good contracts looking back at the historical aspect of the Orioles? Well, I think you've hit the big ones. Uh, let me go to the dark ages. Okay. Uh, some some good signings that happened in the dark ages. I thought that the work that the Orioles did before the 2005 season, bringing in uh, Tejada and Javi Lopez, uh, that was also the same year. I think they brought in Sosa, which I wasn't ex- I wasn't as excited as you were about that. But those were two uh, big signings that brought you know exciting, interesting players to Baltimore. Tejada was clearly a, an all star. Um, and a star player with the birds and Javi Lopez, you know, brought a, a capable bat um, and, a, and a bigger name to a, a team that had been uh, listless for some time. So I thought that was a, a fun signing. Uh, you talk about bad signings and you can make every argument that the, uh, the final Brian Roberts contract was yeah. uh, a bit of an albatross for the team. I love the guy. I, I love everything about his time here in Baltimore. I loved watching him. He's one of my favorite baseball players. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's any fault of his own. People, you know, t- took a, a lot out on him, you know, lazy and, you know, not earning his money. I, I don't believe anything like that. But you can also say that it didn't work out for the ball club the way, you know, they had envisioned when they when they signed him to that 40, $40 million extension. I was so stoked when they did it. I was I was glad, you know, it was a – it was a homegrown talent who was a, a real perennial, uh, you know, leader of, of on-base percentage and, and uh, you know, a, a great, you know, prototypical leadoff hitter in baseball. And they did what it took to keep him. And I was stoked. Didn't work out. Yeah, no, Didn't I agree. Out. And that was actually one of my controversial ones of, you know, you look back at the Brian Roberts deal and I was in the same ballpark of, um, you know, coming off the 2009 season, posting a, a 3.8 uh, offensive war. And I was just like, Hey, the Orioles are doing right here. You know, he's coming off of eight million dollars. He's going to make ten million dollars for the next four seasons. I- I'm good with that. Like that seems like it's a reasonable deal for him. Um, and then it just it just blew up again. It, he he hit that you know age 32 and had a bunch of health conditions, including the concussions, and um, he just never was the player like he was before. So unfortunate, um, but a reality nonetheless. Um, and I think that's someone's another good one too. We're talking contract extensions. I think, you know, when Adam Jones re-signed with the Orioles under the Duquette administration, 
I think that was a big uh, move that we look back and said, wow, the Orioles are actually doing the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they're not going to screw this up. Um, and uh, that was a really big day for me as an Orioles fan. Yeah, no, agreed. Absolutely agreed. Alrighty. Well, I think we have extinguished first base. We've scraped the very bottom of that barrel. Let's let's move along to second. All right. So, Jake, there is literally nothing to do with our kids right now. They are literally bouncing off the walls, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to destroy next in our house. Uh, there is no baseball to watch. Um, they have read every single book that is in our house. We can't go to the library because it's closed. And they are incessantly touching and or picking at each other. Uh, so the Orioles came to help out in putting out an Orioles digital kids corner where you can get coloring pages, games, uh, there's educational activities, there's a there's a game that you can play, um, there's math problems. So Jake, uh, if you had to, in essence, design a digital kids activity uh, for the Orioles fans in your life, uh, what would you potentially put together for them? Stop for just a second. Are you telling me that the Orioles coloring pages currently available on Orioles.com are for the kids? Uh, I am saying that it is for the kids, but there is no age restriction on there saying it is not for a certain age. So, Jake, um, I was worried I was doing this wrong with your um, with your heart and mental um, aptitude, we'll call it. Um, and your degree from American University, I think these are perfectly uh, suited right right up your alley. Thanks. I appreciate that. What what would I be doing for the children? It would be cool if they could get interactive versions of the scoreboard um, animations, you know, the, the uh, crab shuffle and, and stuff like that. That would be like a really cool flash game for, for the kids to play. See, I'm thinking like instead, you know, we you know do a similar thing where we basically uh, give them something to fill in, um, and then we're less like, hey, here is a scoreboard, and it's got you know Texas thirty, Baltimore three, and you've got to color it in accordingly. <laughs> no, 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 I don't like I don't like any of that. Or like we could do like a, a Where's Waldo, and it could be. Hey, find the one good starting pitcher that you can still sign uh, in the International Free Agent League. Um, <laughs> and you got to basically look around for just one player out of the thousands that is willing to sign a contract with you. I think those are the kind of activities that I'm looking to, in instance, put out there for children's activities. So like a kid's dumpster diving activity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> you get to learn how to run a fax machine just like Dan Duquette did. Um, you know, th- things like this. You know, if we're going to work on our skill set, as we talked about before from an analytics standpoint, I think it's important to, in essence, um, get children ready for the eventual disappointment of being an Orioles fan. Oh, goodness gracious. I love the uh, the Orioles math, uh, the Orioles jersey math they've got here. So it's like, you know, three plus two equals you know, blank with a Brooks Robinson jersey with the number missing. That's uh, that's handy. I like that. I like that. That's that's good work. All right. Anything else on here that you are particularly interested in? No, but you know, as you as you indicated, I I plan on doing a fair amount of study and uh, and spending some time here because it's it's you know right on par for where I need to be. All right. Well, let's go over to third base and Jake. Uh, in this era of fake news that's about, um, I think it's important that uh, we, in essence, um, you know, discuss 
um, the various, you know, conspiracy theories that, you know, have been propagated from baseball before. So, Jake, um, I think every baseball fan at some point has been superstitious or, in essence, put forth a conspiracy theory about why certain things uh, were occurring the way they were. So, Jake, what is one baseball conspiracy theory that you used to believe in um, until you became an adult and actually grew up? Okay, I'm still waiting for that other thing. Uh, Conspiracy theories or superstitions. I used to feel a lot more strongly than I do now about the fix being in from a media standpoint for Major League Baseball and some of their partners in dealing with the Orioles. And this was pre this was pre uh, Orioles uh, Nationals Masson, uh, you know, debate. But I got real frustrated with the the national media outlets in their handling of teams, you know, like the Orioles or the Royals or the Athletics or other teams that that weren't, you know, perennially in the playoffs and used to take it really personally when they would be slighted nationally. Uh, You know, my breaking point with ESPN came when they started showing standings with the top three teams in each division showing and not even bothered to to display the, the two teams in the bottom of each division. And I was like, that's it. You know, I just, I can't handle it. I'm not sure if it was the good years coming back that, that kind of calmed me or if it was, you know, um, my wife telling me to chill out. But, uh, you know, I used to feel a lot more strongly about that than I, than I do now. So one of the ones that I've, I believed in, I, and I still, to this day, I'm like, it can't be true. And then we see the whole, you know, matter with the Astros is the one conspiracy theory that I had was, that in Yankee Stadium, I always felt like the Yankees had special baseballs that they pulled out in like the eighth or ninth <laughs> inning that were like in a humidor or something like that, um, that were in essence, you know, able to in essence, you know, go farther, hit the ball harder and stuff like that. Because every single time, you know, they came up in, you know, the bottom of the ninth, you'd be like, something crazy is going to happen here. Like, they're just going to do something where it's going to literally, you know, launch out of the ballpark here, and it's not going to make a lick of sense about why this just happened. Um, and again, you could take a look at it, and you know, you realize like, well, it's not just Yankee Stadium. You know, there's th- that that Yankee magic or Yankee, you know, weirdness that happens happens in other ballparks as well. Um, but every so often, a part of me goes back to that and be like, it just shouldn't happen that often. Like, it's too coincidental that. You know, in essence, the luck dragon always seems to work out for them. Like, why is that always the case? Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. And, you know, for a few years there, the same was true of Boston. I mean, crazy things would happen in Fenway Park. Uh, unfortunate, crazy things would happen at Fenway Park. Yeah. And then I start, started to realize, like, no, this is, this is just what happens to really bad teams. Um, right. play really oh, good teams. actually, our team just sucks. Yeah, our team yeah. just stinks. Um and when a really bad team plays a really good team, um, this tend- has a tendency to happen. Um, things have a tendency to return to normalcy um, rather than the other way around. Now, do you have any weird, ridiculous uh, superstitions? I mean, you know, sports fans are, are crazy. You know, you have to wear the same outfit to the ballpark or do you have to sit in the same spot in your house when you watch games? Is there anything like that that you, you know, that you let get the better of you? Um, I, I wouldn't say too much. There's certain things that I don't like people saying, like I do, I don't like the, 
if there's a no hitter or a perfect game, I don't like people talking about it. I know that's stupid, but I don't like it. Um, uh, and, and generally, I don't like someone saying, you know, um, well, here comes a home run because inevitably something happens. Or I don't like people saying, well, this guy, you know, hasn't given up a home run at this given point. I just, in essence, in those moments of tension, I just want people to, in essence, be quiet. Um, just shut up. I'm just, watching the ball game. Just be quiet and, and you know, don't jinx the matter. Um, and and I know it doesn't matter, um, but it's those things where it just it triggers. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things where you have a tendency to link one to the, each other. Um, but you know, there are other moments too that you know. I think back to the the statue game, um, and I remember sitting in the upper deck with you, and I remember Adam Jones coming up, and I remember turning to you and I said, "He's going to hit a home run here." And you're like, no, he's not. And sure enough, he hits a home run. And uh, I literally went insane. So again, I broke my rule in that given instance. But I'm really glad that I broke my rule in that given instance. I don't. Uh, I don't really do the superstition thing, but I, I do have dumb uh, traditions that I, I just love. You know, for for the the pure reason of just having sports related traditions, right? So like. When we go to the ballpark, I, I always try to go through, um, you know, the same gate every time. Uh, it used to be G, and, and, you know, now it's over there. Um, you know, what is it, gate C? Um, you know, there's the my idiocy over the baseball beer at the beginning of every season. Like, I like having these little traditions, not, not because I think they bring luck or anything, just because I, I feel like they provide a consistency of experience um, and that is, you know, something that we, we love about sports. Um, and for all of the things in life and in sports that you can't control, it's nice to have like the one thing that you can control. I know I'm going to enjoy today because I'm going to get to do all of my favorite things, even if, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't work out on the scoreboard. All right. So let's go around to home plate. Um, we all want to, in essence, get back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, we all want, in essence, uh, to get back to work, to see our loved ones, to see our family members. There are even some of us that want to go back to work, and that is just a, oof, it's dark times if we're feeling that way. Um, but I think most of all, folks that are listening to this podcast, and there's very few of you now, um, are really looking forward to, in essence, um, starting baseball um, and getting back to that sense of normalcy. So, you know, with you know the general news today that there has been a council form to reopen America, um, I thought it'd be a good opportunity, Jake, for us to maybe put together a committee to reopen baseball um, and who we would put on that committee uh, at this given time. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, since we are dealing with things in the news, uh, I thought that maybe I would take a look at the, the construct of the council uh, that came out today and and try to find the the baseball equivalent too. And so I think that we need to discuss the first family of baseball. And so clearly Commissioner Rob Manfred's daughter, Megan Manfred, and her husband, Timothy Perella, uh, Petrella, are clear candidates for the committee to reopen baseball. And, you know, Timothy Petrella is a little bit questionable because his family knows a little something uh, about healthcare, so that may disqualify him. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we are looking for people that have, um, you know, high categories, and uh, 
you know, looking for, you know, very esteemed and established individuals that are willing to contribute. So, you know, I think if I'm looking for someone um, that has a great amount of knowledge, um, a great amount of opinions, and just, you know, grit, as it were, in terms of experience, I think I'm going with Aubrey Huff. I mean, it's an individual that uh, clearly um, is very well tapped into um, how the world works, uh, very much in tuned, in tuned in terms of, you know, how baseball players think. Um, and, you know, he doesn't get stuck behind this aspect of being politically correct, but instead will give real world thoughts in terms of how we can go about uh, bringing baseball uh, back into our lives on a day in and out basis. Um, it's also important, too, that he brings baseball to big cities, but also horse S cities such as Baltimore. So uh, I think it's really important. Oh. <laughs> Delightful. All right. I'm going to I'm going to think a little bit outside the box, Scotty, and I'm going to go with Rachel Phelps. Ooh. And of course, Rachel Phelps, as we all know, is the fictional <laughs> owner of the Cleveland Indians from the film Major League. Uh, you know, I think it's important that we have uh, diversity on this committee to reopen baseball. Uh, this is also a person who is a former. Uh, how do I how do I say this on a family program? Let's just say that she's a former worker in a gig industry mm. um and i think the best way that she can be represented is by a cardboard cutout uh that we slowly take things away from as we begin to reopen baseball oh so that's a great idea so every day we get closer to opening day we in essence rip something off the cardboard pull off absolutely okay so i think if we're looking for other individuals that um in essence um, you know, wrote the game of baseball, um, but again, are very much aware of, you know, the deep state aspect from a baseball standpoint. I think we've got to look at Jose Canseco, who, again, blew open the roof in terms of, um, you know, the whole steroid era and just a really, you know, well-established cognitive individual. Um, and in essence, is constantly trying to prove out that Alex Rodriguez is really the worst person in the world. So, again, if I'm looking for someone uh, to kind of, you know, bring baseball back to where it was in the good old days during the nineties. I, I want Jose Canseco, my counsel to reopen baseball. All right. You know, I feel like unlike what's going on in the news, we should have some experts, right? If we're talking about reopening baseball, we should have some folks that, that know something about baseball. We should have some folks in the council that uh, have an understanding of economics or, or health matters. Um, so I've got a, a couple of, you know, Colorful characters that I'd like to recommend. And when I think about who represents baseball, you know, I think about mascots. And, you know, we love the bird. The bird is, I mean, the bird is the word. You know, he, he is the guy. But he, he's the guy here in Baltimore. Scotty, if, if you just ask, you know, the person on the street in a non-baseball town, who is the quintessential baseball mascot? Who do you think the answer would be? Philly Fanatic? Absolutely. So I am saying the Philly Fanatic. You know what? Old look or new? Your, your lady's choice. Uh, the Philly Fanatic has to be on the official council to reopen baseball. Whatever happened to the San Diego chicken? It's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, these are the things that pop up on Bird's Eye View. It's the deep questions. Uh, so I completely agree. We need someone um, out there um, that, in essence, represents baseball, can give kind of historical input, but also one that is not part of the fake media. So uh, if I'm going out there and picking someone, I want someone that is kind of upholding the virtues of baseball, 
um, keeping individuals such as you know Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame. Um, and I'm going to go with Murray Chess, who again um, has continually uh, shown um, that it's okay to, in essence, submit a blank ballot and do nothing um, to basically change the tides because a blank ballot is still action, as it were, in terms of um, making a change as it relates to baseball. So I'm hoping that Murray Chess is willing to participate in this council to reopen baseball and, in essence, submits a blank ballot every single time a vote comes up. All right. Fair enough. You know, Scotty, it's important that not only baseball be there for us, but baseball be safe. Um, so we need to we need to get some doctors involved. And so I am going to nominate for our uh, committee to reopen baseball, Patrick Dempsey and Mary Kay Place, who, of course, were uh, television doctors, uh, Dr. McDreamy and the Surgeon General from the West Wing. I think clearly they have the they have the gravitas as well as the experience to really bring the public health uh, piece of this into into frame. Jake, in these difficult times, we need people that can take action that are not held down by virtues and uh, are willing to, in essence, you know, strike down people that go against them. So, Jake, if you were able to choose a fictitious individual such as uh, Rachel Phelps. I'm going to choose the judge from The Natural um, in order to basically enforce um, whatever is necessary within the game of baseball in order to get it back on the field and have that team move um, to a new city. When you said the judge, I was sure that there was a certain New York Yankee that was going to come up. I'm delighted this is the direction it went instead. (laughs) No, no, I've got nothing against Aaron Judge. This is just uh, the judge from The Natural. All right, fair enough. Look, you know, we've, we've covered baseball. We've covered public health. Uh, We need to bring in somebody that understands economics. You know, this is a business, Scott, and this affects many businesses. So we have to bring somebody who knows money, somebody who has put their own money on the line time and time again. Of course, I'm talking about Ben Stein, right? Win Ben Stein's money. He, He clearly is an expert. He has to know something. So when it comes to the Council to reopen baseball. He's got to be on it. And, you know, now that I think about it, Scott, this brings it all into focus. Maybe we should give another reality show host a shot. Like somebody who has a totally transferable set of skills who could go from entertaining on television to to helping us as a as a game, as a country. I don't know. I'll have to think about this. I'll get back to you on that one. Look, we're at an even number of people now in terms of who we pick for our council. And in case of a disagreement, we can't have things ending in a tie. So we need an individual that is willing to, in essence, break ties whenever they occur. So I'm going to put Bud Selig on here for his baseball acumen and his you know, ability to be showing from a historical basis the willingness to break ties and come to an executive decision. I know fully that Bud Selig is going to do a great job here and uh, not let things, in essence, end in a stalemate. That's brutal. All righty. I think we've done all that we can to help this game heal and to get it back on track. Can we, uh, can we leave it there and go ahead and blow the save? Absolutely. All right, 
save this week, I'm going to make a reference to one of my least favorite things that was involved in, in one of my more recent favorite things. Scott, have you seen the uh, John Krasinski's uh, Some Good News uh, YouTube show? I have. This past week, he uh, had some some doctors and nurses from uh, the Boston area out to basically run around uh, Fenway Park you know, by themselves, basically have the run of the place, and that was awesome. Look, I'm not a big fan of the Boston Red Sox, clearly, but they were involved in something great. And it got me thinking, it'd be really awesome, you know, either now or when all this is over, to have the Orioles get involved with, you know, local hospitals and healthcare providers to find some way to make sure that we, as a baseball community, thank the people that have been working so hard to save lives, to keep our, you know, Western civilization, all of civilization uh, up and running. So um, if you haven't had the chance, go check that out. Some good news is, is fluffy and uh, you know, an excuse to to do nothing but look at the bright side of things, and that's not that's not so bad. And that that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available or download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. It, we appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please be safe out there. And let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.